The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you uh, do not have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high and we'll make sure that you get one so you can track, around, track along with us. Um, we'll be back in Luke next week, but uh, we got some other stuff to talk about today. A couple of announcements while you're doing that. Um, ladies, you've got a women's retreat coming up and today's the last day to sign up for that. So please make sure you stop by the Connect Desk on the way out and get the information you need. You don't want to miss out on that. And then also we have a Heritage Basics class coming up this Saturday. Um, if you're interested in becoming a covenant member with us here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, this is a prerequisite class um, coming up this Saturday morning where you'll spend the morning with me and we'll talk through some of Heritage's distinctives, history, what we're about, what we believe in, and have some food together. So we'd love to spend Saturday morning with you. If you could also stop by the Connect Desk on the way out and get signed up, that would be great. Um, for the rest of you, we are now in, uh, like I said, normally in the book of Luke, but we're going to do something a little different today. Um, as you guys know, we just got back from Africa um, Friday evening, and so it's been really hard trying to get back into uh, the normal swing of things. Um, everything just feels different. Like, you guys look super white today, just so you know. <laughs> like, you look so white. <laughs> but um, there's other things too. But um, what I, what I want to do is, is usually what I have done in the past is kind of on the flight back because you have all the time in the world while you're flying back from Africa um, to try to make like a little slideshow with some music in the background and all that kind of stuff. And we just show that and then I talk about the trip. But, but that doesn't really introduce you to the people. And, and I, I'm just trying to get more connection in a lot of different ways. So we're going to do just an old school, this is how you know I'm getting old, I'm doing a vacation slideshow today. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to introduce you to some of your brothers and sisters across uh, across the country and across the, the ocean, tell you a little bit about what we've been involved in historically and what we are involved in now and what it looks like the Lord's laying in front of us uh, moving forward. We've never really done anything like this and we don't really have, like I don't have one of those little clickers where I can just switch from slide to slide as I want to. So we're having to sort of work around a few things. So this pointer is not so much to point out things on there as it is to try to say, hey, uh, let's go to the next slide. So just ignore when you, why is he doing this all the time? That's my sign to those guys. Um, and we're going to try to get, uh, just try to work it through. It'll be a little awkward, a little clunky, but that's what family is. Amen. So um, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, I just pray, Lord, that this wouldn't just be um, sometime just to look at some pictures, but I, I pray, God, for a, a blending of hearts with us and our, our friends and family in Uganda. But I also pray, Lord, for an understanding and an awakening, Lord, a, a, of just awe of what you're doing all over the world. And I pray, Lord, that you would call us, Lord, that you would just give people vision to be on, on board with you and, and with your mission and with what you're doing. Help us to live for something bigger than the little worlds that we've crafted out for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to see what you're doing, what's really important. And, and I pray, Lord, for the church in Uganda, um, even as they sleep right now, Lord, that you would just bless our family. Protect them, care for them, equip them, comfort them, challenge them, push them, and use them. We just thank you for them, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name. Now, God's people said, amen. 
Well, um, we just got back, like I said, on Friday evening. Um, it was myself, Pastor Sam, uh, Kathy Johnston, who leads the women's ministry here at Heritage, and also Andrew Rasmussen, one of the members here at Heritage, a really gifted photographer. It was nice having him along as well. Most of the photos here are his, especially if they're any good. If they're bad, those are probably mine. Um, but I'm just going to walk you guys through a little bit of the history and a little bit of what we've been doing there and what we are and try to introduce you to some guys. So where we went is, if we can fire this thing up, we went to Uganda. This is in right on the equator is where Uganda is. It's on the uh, the shores of Lake Victoria, the, the largest body of water in Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just a huge ocean of a lake. And Uganda is just beautiful. Um, Uganda was once a uh, English colony, so it's an English-speaking place in many places, though they speak obviously tribal dialects like Lugandan and Yonkali and Swahili and some other languages there. Um, there's some really interesting history behind Uganda that, that's really kind of fascinating. For example, um, in the 40s, after Israel had gone through the Holocaust, um, there was talk of making Uganda the new Israel. Because people wanted to bless Israel and kind of give them their land after they had been scattered and taken advantage of. And England kind of stepped up to the table and said, well, we got this land down there in Africa. We'll just give them Uganda. And the Jewish people were like, no, we kind of have our own land. We just want it back, please. And so it ended up not being that. There's some really interesting history there. There's been some, some devastating history there. If you know some of the, the story through the 70s and 80s and some of the things that happened there with Idi Amin, he was a very wicked ruler. But right now, Uganda's doing really, really well. Um, it, it's a very peaceful place to go for the most part. I mean, Africa is still Africa no matter where you go. Um, but it's just a great people who have a great appreciation for Americans, which is kind of rare in some places you travel now, um, where many people have come into Africa historically and they've just taken I mean, the land in Africa has just been used and abused by so many people from so many different lands for so long. And so when, when people have come to, and, and Uganda is a place where many missionaries have flocked to, um, they've seen the American church and, and churches from other countries too come not to take but to give. And so there's been this really awesome love within especially Christian communities in Uganda um, for the American people and for the American church. So we have just awesome relationship there. It's a beautiful land. These are Matoki fields up in the mountain. Matoki is kind of like a banana. Um, it's think like plantain, but with less flavor, <laughs> if you will. If you've ever had that, you know that's funny. So, um, so th this is the Matoki fields there in Uganda. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous green area. Um, obviously, Uganda's home to insane wildlife. Um, we had a convoy of elephants block our car as we were trying to drive through the safari land. We, we actually, where we are in, in, in Barara, where, is we, where we spend most of our time, um, you fly into Entebbe, drive to Kampala, and then you head southwest towards like Rwanda and the Congo. And right there is Queen Victoria Park. It's, or excuse me, Queen Elizabeth National Park. It's one of the, the best safari parks you could ever go to. And people pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go there and hire these drivers. And they get, you guys know those Land Rovers that have like the upper seats and they drive around and all that. And it costs a fortune to do that. 
Um, but if you have a friend there with a van and you're courageous, you can just go do it on your own. So that's what we did. <laughs> so, uh, so it's weird. You know, safaris cost thousands of dollars. This is my fifth time. And we just go there. And so I tell the driver, I actually know the roads in this park now. I'm like, okay, go here, go here, go here. And we drive around until we find one of those expensive guides driving around. And I go, follow that dude. And then we get free safari, right? <laughs> so that's what we do. So we had some elephants. We got to see some, they're like, antelope kind of stuff right there. They were staring at us. They were like, look at those white people. But um, so we saw them. There's another big old deer uh, of some sort. Um, I think this is the hippo from Madagascar that sings, I like them big, if you know that movie. Um, but that thing was just sitting right by the side of the road. That was kind of weird. But there's lots of them there. As you can tell, we took a boat ride in the lake and there were just animals everywhere. Some of them are more friendly than others. Um, but that was just super, super cool. Uganda is just an absolute gorgeous, gorgeous place, but it's not just the wildlife. Oh, here's the, here's the traffic jam we got. Is that going to play? Yeah, there we go. So, uh, you just stay in the car, you know what I mean? They're not like circus elephants. They don't pick you up like all the cartoons where the trunk picks you up and puts you on the back. They tend to stomp here on you. Um, but just an incredible, incredible place. Um, but what really makes Uganda beautiful is not just the wildlife or the land. It's really the people. These are some of the kids here in Uganda. Just amazing, beautiful people here in Uganda. Here's another kid there. And that's his toy, by the way, that tire. That's not just a random tire. That's his toy. Uh, one of Johnson and Talent's kids. We'll talk about them here in a little while. Um, some more village people. There's selfies alive and well in Uganda. I got a story about that coming up. Hang tight. Um, this guy right here. Now, when Andrew was out front taking his picture the very first day, he was so excited to have his picture taken. And Andrew's about to snap the picture. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. And he runs off and comes back with that walkie-talkie in his hand right there because he wanted to look like he was doing something important. <laughs> I'm serious. So he comes back with the walkie-talkie. He's like, okay, now, now. So funny. And his name, no joke, Wilbur. That's his name. Ugandan name Wilbur, I guess. So just cool, cool people. Um, here's some more kids. But I'll, I'll tell you what really, really uh, blesses us. The people there in Uganda that really have our heart more than anybody else are the people of Oasis of Hope Church. Um, Oasis of Hope is our sister church there in Uganda. We have been partnered with them to do ministry work for some nine years now. Um, the lead pastor there and his wife in the middle, Pastor John and his wife, Jessica. Let's go to the next picture there. Um, I met Pastor John about 11 years ago when I was in Uganda. I was an assistant at the time at Mountain Christian Fellowship. And we went to Uganda and we did a pastor's conference there in Uganda. And myself, um, Jim Wright, and Eric Melgren, who's sitting there in the back, the three of us uh, taught at this big pastor's conference for like three, four days, and we taught through the book of Romans. And we would just all take turns. Somebody do chapter one, somebody do chapter two. And there were about 475 pastors from all over Uganda and Rwanda there for this particular conference. And when you're there um, in that kind of setting, guys are always coming up to you with a little slip of paper that's got like their name and phone number and contact info because if they can get support from an American church, you have to understand to us, everyone in America is really, really wealthy. 
That's what they believe. Um, in fact, there's a name that they give us. If you go there, you'll hear it a ton. They call us Mzungu, which they think is hysterical when you call yourself Mzungu because it's also somewhat insulting. It's like cracker or whitey or something like that. Um, but, but it means more literally rich white man. That's what that means. And some people mean it endearingly. Some people mean it as an insult, but that's what they call you. And even the poorest person in America is of infinite wealth and resources compared to what they have there. The level of poverty that you see in Uganda um, is sometimes earth-shaking when you see the conditions they live in. Um, and, and even people in some of the nicer conditions would be houses that would be condemned here in America. And you would be refused, the government wouldn't even let you live in some of the places that many of the Ugandan people live. So these guys are always coming up with this little note, name, address, you know, stuff like that, hoping to find support. Well, when you're teaching 475 Ugandans for four days, you get that note so many times and you can't help but feel a little bit like, oh, here comes another one. Here comes another one. It happens all the time. And so this guy comes up to me one day and his hand was even shaking. He's got this piece of paper and I'm, I'm thinking like, ah, oh, here, here comes another one of those guys. And he goes, the Lord gave me a word of prophecy for you. And so I wrote it down because I did not want to forget. And he hands me the piece of paper and he walks away. There was no name on it, no contact information, nothing. Just this thing that he wrote down, the Lord is going to do this through you kind of, kind of a thing. And I remember when I first read it, I was like, it's kind of cool, but I, I don't really know what it means. I don't know if it applies, but it just, I don't know, felt significant, felt cool. So I held on to it and tracked him down a day or so later and got his email address and got a photo with him so I could remember the guy that gave me the note because I just thought it was neat. He was the only guy that wasn't asking for anything. And then we started Heritage some, I don't know, close to two years later and as the church grew, we were like, man, we, what should we do for missions? We should find like a missions outlet. We need to be involved in doing something in missions. And I thought, well, I remember I had this guy that wrote me this note. I wonder if I can track him down. And so I went looking for that note that he had written me and I'm digging through all my desk and I finally find this note and I read it. And it was like a hair raising on the back of your neck kind of a moment because what he had written at that time um, was all of a sudden, two years later, as I'm reading it, it was insanely profound. Like it, it literally described our church at that time. It described um, probably 90% of the ministry that I personally was involved in at that time. It was unbelievable what had happened. And so we were like, yeah, we got to go find this guy. So we flew over there, went and visited his church. Um, it is so far. Like Africa is so far from here. You travel, like it, it's so long to get there. And then when you land... His church in Imbarara, it's about a six-hour car ride from the airport after all the flights on the worst roads you can possibly imagine. Like you're, you guys that drive the mountain logging roads and you're driving over rocks and logs and all that stuff, like that's the freeway in Uganda, right? And not even joking. Um, it, it's really, really rough. Um, but we made our way there and got to know them. And we've been partnered with Oasis of Hope now for about nine years. Um, we've done... Oh gosh, what all have we done? We've done pastor's conferences. We've done orphan support where we send kids to school. We've done water filter programs with them. We've done medical outreach clinics. We've just been able to do a whole lot of different things with Oasis of Hope for a whole lot of years. And so kind of the purpose for this trip was kind of to see like, so what next? What are we going to do 
next. And, and so we went over there, but, but I was reminded of something that I, I already knew, but I just felt it in a new, fresh way when we were over there. And I got to tell you guys, like, they are family to us. Like, I, I don't, there's no way I can properly express this to you until you go. But you don't understand. Like, I, I've done other mission trips where you go, and most of the mission trips that go to Uganda um, are involved in, like, orphanages. There's huge orphanages over there with tons of kids in them. And most of the mission teams that go to Uganda, they'll go to those orphanages that are supported by churches, and they'll do ministry work there, which is good. It's great. In no way am I disparaging any of that. Um, but it's also, to a certain degree, impersonal, because there's constant turnover at the orphanages, constant turnover among the staff, um, and you're involved with so many people all at once that your relationships only get a chance to go so deep, if that makes sense. What we're doing here with this particular church, and, and it's not like it was some wisdom that we came up with this new idea. Like, we sort of just stumbled into this, honestly. It's so unique and so different. Like, when we show up there, they run to us and hug us. When we leave, there's weeping. Like, there is 10 years now almost of history with this church and deep, deep relationships and love. Like, church, they pray for you guys. Like, I, I was thinking about it while we were there. Like, how many blessings have we at Heritage experienced because of the prayers of those people who have nothing in Africa? Because I'm telling you, they pray for us all the time. It's incredible. And it's not just a partnership. It's not just a church partnership. It's family. Like, we love each other. We have fun together, as exemplified in this photo. Um, we, we, <laughs> we, we just have such great relationship with the people of Uganda. Um, it, it's, it, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's a closeness that you, you can't imagine until you get there. And you could be coming there for your first time. So like Kathy's been before, I've been before, Sam hadn't, and Andrew, he, had been, he was with me in Jinja when I met Pastor John, but had never met any of the people here. But the moment you meet him, and these guys can tell you, you're, you are family the moment you show up. It's just an incredible, incredible thing. Um, and so we've been working with them for a long time. We built them a church building, as you can see here. This is, um, don't switch yet, I'm actually going to point at something this time. This right here is like the admin building, and further down here is where like the children's ministry building and all that kind of stuff is. And this is the sanctuary building, and then they've got a huge field where they've got their own garden for the community and everything there. That's land that we all fundraised together a few years ago, you might remember, to be able to buy that land for them and help them build this building, which they contributed to as well. Um, and the next picture here, you can see the inside the sanctuary. It's really nice. I mean, by Ugandan church standards, they did an amazing job on this building. It is so nice in there. It was packed out on Sunday morning, really nice concrete stage. Um, the sound system, it's not clear, but it sure is loud. That's very Ugandan. Um, just so you know, um, super loud, in fact, but, um, but just really, really cool. So we've got really close relationship with them, our church and them. And then I, I forget how many of you know this story or how many of you were here when we kind of went through this, but, but I also have my own and um, kind of personal reasons on a totally different level for why um, these people have my heart so much too, because this here is my daughter, Ellen. Um, and I mean that literally... Um, Several years ago, uh, we met Ellen on a mission trip many years ago, and my wife and I went through the process actually to adopt her. And her story is incredible. She actually gave her testimony at church that morning uh, on the Sunday morning service that I got to preach at, which was so powerful and moving and tearful. But um, 
she has been through everything. She's been through, uh, tried to be forced into sex trafficking. She's been abandoned by family. She's been beaten. She's been like anything you could go through, this poor girl's been through it. And at 16 years of, years of age, um, she finally had had enough, and she decided she was going to make her way from her home to the wild animal park, the safari park that we went to that you just saw pictures of, for the purpose of if she just walks through it, she was like, well, maybe some animals will just eat me. That was her plan. And so as she was making her way through there, she heard the obnoxiously loud music coming from this building, didn't know what it was in Barara, and stumbles into a church fittingly known as Oasis of Hope for a little girl who had none. And so she's sitting in the back of the church, she's just weeping and bawling, and the pastors came to her and said, what's wrong, what's going on? And, and she kind of told them what was going on, and they said to her, they're like, okay, look, we're going to try to help you, we'll try to get a hold of, track down family, something, we'll see what we can do, but we can't for a couple of days, you're going to have to just hang with us for a couple of days, because we have this missionary team from the United States that's coming to visit us in two days, and we're preparing for them. And that was when we actually showed up. And so we got to meet her. She didn't speak a word of English. And just in this, just, I don't even know how to explain it other than to say it was the Lord. Like our, our hearts just connected. And so we went through a long, long process to go through and to adopt her. And you say, well, if you adopted her, if that's your daughter, why is she over there? Um, because on the day that we went to court, the probation officer there, which in that culture, that's the same as DHS. So it'd be like a child services officer. Um, the probation officer was withholding his report until literally the last minute. His report got turned in five minutes before our trial began. And uh, we, we couldn't understand why. No one could get a hold of the guy. It turns out he was holding back in hopes we would track him down and bribe him, which we didn't know. And we couldn't find him anyway. We didn't know what was going on. And so because we didn't bribe him... He turned in a report to the judge that was read there in the courtroom, and I'll never forget what it says. The last line of, of the report said, When one looks at the Hensleys, we must assume the only reason they want to adopt Ellen into their home is to make her a common house slave. And so the judge shut down the adoption. There was no opportunity for appeal or any, anything like that. Um, so we still, this is our daughter. She calls us mom and dad. We still take care of her, send money, things like that. And she now lives with Pastor John, the pastor of the church there, and his family there. So um, it was a powerful thing to get to see her. This next picture, like right when we pulled up, she came running down the street and just buried her head in me and started just bawling. And it was like a, a mess. I'm not showing you the pictures that came after that. But um, it, it was just an incredible thing. I got one more picture of her. Um, uh, here because I'm showing off my kid. Amen. That's allowed, right? Amen. Um, so just a sweet, sweet girl. Thank you. Absolutely. So there's just a real closeness between heritage and, and the times that we've gone over there and the people that are there. If you, by the way, are here and you've been there before, I assure you they have asked about you. They remember everyone that came. They remember all the names. They're constantly asking, how's this guy? How's this guy? How's this guy? How's this guy? It's just an, an amazing thing. And when we show up over there, like I said, like this is Tom. This is Pastor John's son. Like it's not just like, a, oh, hi, good to see you again. It's like hugs and affection. Like these people are incredible. And there's just some deep, deep love 
love between them. Here's a group pic where we were having dinner one night at Pastor John's house with several of the kids that we have supported. Um, let me introduce you actually to a couple of them so that you guys will know. Here, let's go to the next picture. Some of you may remember years ago the twins. They, they're orphans that somehow ended up at Oasis of Hope and Pastor John took them in. Um, just, you know, Pastor John, he has 12 people living in his home, none of which are his children. Like that's how many people they've taken in and are caring for there. Here are two of them that your tithes here are helping support so that these two girls, Ruth and Esther, can go to school. They're amazing. One of them is a talker. I mean, 900 miles an hour or kilometers over there. But they'll talk just as fast. And the other one is just quiet and reserved. Don't ask me which one is which. I still can't tell. So, but that's Ruth and Esther. Here we have Happy. Um, Happy, I remember when we first met Happy and we were looking to help her go to school, she told me she was afraid to go to school because she's much older than a lot of the kids that are there. She's a tiny thing, like this girl is like this tall, um, but she's much older. She was so far behind in school that she knew she was going to be in class with kids that were much younger than her, and she was intimidated by that. She was really nervous about how she was going to do. Um, well, you guys have supported her for several years now through school. She now is out of school and now works at a school. And while we were there at the school, we got to go visit her. She came running out, giving us this big hug at the school where she's at. And her, the principal who runs the school there came out and the principal told me, she said, listen, that girl is the hardest working employee we have ever had at this school. And one thing I can tell you about you, about her, happy is always praying. And so I was so proud of this girl and you guys should be too. This is your kid. Like we've helped support this girl. It was just awesome to see what the Lord's doing with her. And now she's helping other kids with their school. It was incredible. Here's another one. This is Esther. That's uh, at her university. That's at Bishop Stewart University. It's a college there. And when she, she wanted to take us to the school so we could see where she goes to school. So she toured us around. And while we were there, we ended up meeting like the chancellor or whatever that was there. And he gave me his card, he gives me this notebook, and he was just talking to me because he really wants American students to come there and go to school. So young people, if you're looking for a university, Bishop Stewart University might be the place for you. I'll let you know. Um, it's actually, though, it's a really, really good school. It really, really, really is. Um, so, so those are the orphans we've been supporting. We've been working with them. We've been learning from them. I'll give you an example. Here is a normal worship service here um, in Uganda. And uh, this is a video, I think, if you have a play button or something like that. Is it going to work for us? As you can tell, worship there is very similar to ours. Um, there's nothing really any different whatsoever. This right here, guys, this is warm-up before church, just so you know. People coming in there, go to the next one if you would. They have dance teams and all super choreographed. It's, it's just amazing the energy they put into it. You notice the one white person in the video is not dancing, but everybody else is. <laughs> but just incredible opportunities there. Worship is amazing. Um, there, there's worship at one of the other churches we got to visit. Let me talk to you a little bit about other churches. Um, now, Pastor John, one thing that he's been doing there over the last however many years, and he's been uh, doing really good at is church planting. Um, Oasis of Hope has currently right now around seven church plants that they've sent out. They've sent out many more than that. Some exist, and, you know, some survive, some don't, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, when we have gone there in the past, 
we would always take days to go do house visits with the people that um, go to Oasis of, of Hope. So we were staying in Emberara, and we would take like one day and visit like six, seven different houses, and then we'd go to another day, and we would go do that. This time, instead of doing house visits, we did church visits. And he took us to the places where the church plants that he sent out were. And we learned a couple things. The first thing we learned is that when a Ugandan driver says, it is not far, you better pack a lunch. It is so far down the worst roads. We went to places that we were like, I, I don't even, I think we're in like Eastern Africa at this point. Is this like the Congo? Where are we? Just so far out there. And in fact, we went to two villages where, according to the people there, um, we were the first white people to visit that village. Now, they had seen white people before as they go into town, but these places are so far out of town and out in the middle of nowhere that no one's ever ha even had reason to go there. And so we went to some different places. This is one of them. Um, check this out. This was our welcome. As we pulled up, this is what was happening in the building while they waited for us. It was incredible. This church right here is way up in the mountains. I mean, way up in the mountains all by itself. But there's people that live up there. And one thing that's crazy about Ugandans is they will cultivate anything. So they will have, uh, you know, banana fields or matoki fields that go straight up the side of a mountain. And that's just the land that they farm. They, they live off the land and they waste none of it. And so up in these mountains where people are working these fields, they got to have a place to live and transportation. You know, these people don't have cars. So they planted a church up there and put this group. So we got to come up to this village. First time white people had ever been up there way up on top of this mountain and see all these incredible people up there. It was awesome. Let's go to the next one here. This is some of the people there from that particular church. Um, it's hard to tell this, but in the background there, that's like the valley floor that's probably a couple thousand feet lower than the mountain that we're at. And every day, the women and the kids take these empty jugs and they have to go all the way to the bottom of that valley because that's where water is. Fill up all these jugs and then they hike all the way back up to the top. Something I will remind my kids about every time I ask them to take the trash out. It's, it's really incredible. Like their life guys is hard. They work hard for everything there. It's a very difficult life. Um, we went to this one other church. Um, here's pastor Sam. We went to this one church where, um, it was on this piece of land that's actually owned by a lady at Oasis of Hope. Um, and it's a crazy story. Her husband had died and she was just trying to learn how to kind of exist on her own. And no joke, she learned how to flip property. And so this gal would buy property and then flip it, sell it for profit and buy another one. And she's now by their uh, standards, this is a wealthy woman. And she owns this piece of land where this church was. And so we went to go visit it. The land is right between two universities. So they have college kids that come to this particular church, which is really cool. It's an old, really rickety mud building. I don't remember when they said it was built, but it was a long, long time ago. And they even made a comment about how they're nervous that it will remain standing while we were standing inside it. They said that. So that was super comforting. Um, but um, what was really amazing was while we were there visiting that day, 
the lady who owned the property had pulled the pastor aside and she gave him the property, gave him the building, donated the whole thing to that church. They didn't know that and it got announced that day to which everybody went nuts and I was like, calm down, you're gonna bring this building down, like relax. <laughs> but it was an amazing thing and then the next day was Sunday and while I taught at Oasis of Hope in Imbarara, um, a driver took Sam there and he got to preach the first sermon in their newly owned building and property there for the Sunday morning service, which was really cool. And I also bring it up to say this. Um, if you th it, don't think that Oasis of Hope just waits for the Americans to bring money and then they go and do stuff. This church is insanely giving. Um, they, they collect and they pull money from themselves. Um, we're supporting right now, I think, eight orphans to go through school. I think they have six. And you're talking about people with like nothing. And so they are constantly doing that. John, like I said, has all these people living there. And here's this woman in the church that's donating property. So that, that, this church is on mission. And we're partnered with them. But we by no means are the ones who fund everything they do. This church is standing on its own two feet and doing some amazing things for the kingdom of God. And it's something to be proud of and something to be happy to be a part of as well for sure. Um, so we, Sam taught here the next day and then, okay, so this next one, before we even get there, well, let's go ahead. It's a video, so it can be playing. You don't need volume on this first one, guys, but, but so we went to this one church, the last one of the day, and we drove, it was the farthest of any of them, up the worst road ever, all the way up this mountain to more of the, um, oh, the video's all jumpy, isn't it? Oh, well, but this is called Matoki, these plants here, and there's coffee uh, plants in there. It's just way up on this mountain. And we're like, okay, finally, we're here. And they're like, nope, now it's time to hike. So, so you get out of the car and you go walking like, I don't know, quarter mile, half mile, something like that through this Matoki jungle. You can't really tell the reason we're walking weird is that's almost straight down, even though it doesn't really look like it. And then as we're drawing close, we start hearing this drum beat, like the classic Ugandan, doom, 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 doom. That's what you hear that everywhere. But we hear it down there and I hear all this, yeah, 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 and all this. And every cannibal movie I've ever heard of <laughs> comes to mind, right? I'm just like, I hope this is safe. Where are we going? Well, this was another one of those villages that no white people have ever visited. I'm surprised they found this place, frankly. You walk through this thing and all of a sudden it opens up. There's this lawn. There's one building. I don't know where the people live because I didn't see any houses. Um, but this is the greeting. If you go to the next video, this was our welcome. <laughs> Holy cow. They were so excited that we were there. Full drum line, everyone's lined up, parading us past them. After this, all their youth got together and did a choreographed planned song performance that they had done for us because they heard that we were coming. It was unbelievable. Like the opportunity that was there to be able to go to a place like that, it was absolutely stunning and incredibly humbling to be up in that place. It, it, it was just absolutely blew me away. And if you go to the next picture here, um, they were so excited. This guy told me, he said, I have never stood next to a white man before. Can I take your picture? And then he immediately went selfie, which is just awesome. Like, so it turns out the selfie phenomenon is not exclusive to the United States. Selfies are strong in Uganda. In fact, if you, they go hardcore with the selfies. Check this out. They're rarely tried double selfie. 
<laughs> Stepping their game up in that one. And then one gal in Imbarara, she actually went selfie stick even in Uganda. So uh, parents, don't just think it's the American kids. Selfies are strong there as well. Um, so anyway, we, we hike through there and, and they do this little mini service where they introduce everybody and they're talking to us. And then they announce, um, and now we've made you lunch. And which made us a little nervous um, because we're just, I, there's no telling what you're going to be eating. Um, when there's meat in front of you, it could be beef, it could be goat, it could be baboon, literally. And so we have no idea what we're going to eat. We have no idea what they're doing. But I mean, how amazing is that? These people up there in the middle of nowhere with nothing. And so they made lunch for us. If you go to the next one, which was turned out amazing. The fruit that was there you guys haven't had fruit before. I'm telling you, like their pineapple is like a taste of heaven. And, and all this stuff was laid out in front of us and they had actual, they, instead of goat or instead of baboon, which is cheap meat there, they had beef and they had made rice. They had had all this fruit. I can't imagine what it would have cost them. If you think about percentages based on the money that they have and everything, I can't imagine the sacrifice it took for this village in the middle of nowhere to put on this huge buffet lunch for all of us to be there. It was one of the most humbling things in the world. And I'll tell you, um, early on when we started going to Uganda, we found out that usually when tourists come there, because they do get white people coming through Imbarara a lot, Americans, Europeans and stuff, because that's the highway that goes to that safari game park. And Imbarara is the biggest city that's close to that game park. And so a lot of people will stay there, but it's really expensive hotels with restaurants that cater towards Europeans and Americans and tourists that cost a fortune to eat at. And so when they saw us come there and we started actually eating with them, we, we didn't even think about it. We we're just like, of course, you're there. That's the guest they're eating. Let's eat with them. And we would send money in advance to pay for the food, but we would eat with them with Oasis of Hope. It's a huge deal to them. Like they still can't fathom that the Europeans or that the Americans, that, that this group comes and actually eats with them. It's unbelievable. And even at times, um, like we had a big luncheon on Sunday after church where we, we fed the entire church. We just had a big old school potluck right there at Oasis of Hope. But they had one line over here set up for a lot of the African people to eat. And then they had set up a separate line for us to get our food. And it had things on it that they didn't have. And that wasn't what we had set up. That's just what they do because it's such a big deal to them to want to serve and bless. So we're like stealing food off of our buffet line and giving it to the other people as we're going through there and trying not to get caught because then they're offended. Like they really want that to be a blessing to you. It was just incredible to be up here in this place and be able to dine with these guys. Um, this was a, a little worship service thing that they did for us right before we left. Um, it was just an incredible, incredible time. So, um, and no, I got one more picture here. This is Kathy giving some gifts to some of the kids um, up there in, in the mountains. She had brought uh, with her some little, like, just silly little toys or stickers and things like that, little pieces of candy to give to the kids. And the kids would just mob around her. And, and it was a real blessing to have Kathy and to have that stuff um, there. But the biggest gift that we can give, uh, that we are able to give the people of Uganda when we go over there, by far is teaching and training. 
Um, Pastor John talked about the fact that they've planted so many churches in so many areas, but not all of them survive. Because what tends to happen is um, the churches are all planted with a lot of excitement. Obviously, worship's a big deal over there. It's very exciting. But they have a real hard time moving people out of sort of an experiential worship experience and giving them roots, giving them depth, because they just don't have a lot of resources there. So they'll plant a church, and a pastor goes out. There's excitement. They get the music going. They do you know, all this kind of stuff. But they don't really have the ability to really ground these people and really teach them. And so if another church plant comes along or another church with another opportunity, they end up bouncing to the next one. And many times, it's actually the pastor that takes them to the next one. So there's some churches that Oasis of Hope planted that are no longer affiliated with Oasis of Hope because some other ministry, oftentimes prosperity ministries, seem to have more to offer. And so they bounced, left that place, and go to the other one. And so Pastor John was like, we struggle with discipleship. We struggle with teaching these guys. And so when we go over there, teaching is always a huge part of what we do. And we get the joy of teaching with an interpreter, which is awesome and awkward at first, but amazing. Um, this is Julius. Julius is the coolest interpreter on earth. I've taught now with Julius probably um, on like three or four different trips now, I think, maybe even more than that. And he makes me sound so much cooler than I am. Like you guys have no idea. He's like this fiery African, like he gets all excited. It's crazy. And so when you're teaching with an interpreter, you have to get used to every time there's a little learning curve as you get used to kind of the pattern because you have to do shorter sentences. If you go too long, the interpreter looks at you like, dude, slow down. I can't memorize all that, you know? So you have to go in little bits, but, but you start to get the hang of it. There's a little rhythm and it's actually kind of nice because you can think about what you're going to say <laughs> the next time and it's really cool. But what the interpreters do, they mimic everything that you do while you're there. So take a look at this picture. They, they'll mimic even your hand gestures because some of the Ugandans who want his language, now it's an, it's an English speaking, like I said, but, but a lot of them don't speak English. And so some of the Ugandans, they're watching that guy. So he will even copy your hand gestures and everything that you do there. Um, I loved that one. That was awesome. That was when we threw a heretic out of the church. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so, so Julius was just a blast to be able to teach with. Um, and, and so this one Sunday, for example, um, when I got to preach there at Oasis of Hope, Pastor John told me that they were teaching um, through a series about the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so I came in and I taught through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 where um, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit to the people, of, uh, to Jesus' followers for the purpose of spreading the gospel throughout Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, the ends of the earth. And so what I talked about with them was the same kind of thing that we've talked about here as a church. The idea of there's lost people all around us. And so here's what's really cool. The Oasis of Hope in their old building before we built for them, they were on this major highway. So they got a lot of people going back and forth, but it was more of a commercial area mostly. And now the new building is smack dab in the middle of a very densely populated neighborhood. 
It's not businessy at all. It's not touristy at all. It's just a big, huge neighborhood full of Ugandans, and they're right in the middle of it. And so every Sunday morning when they crank their music, and I'm telling you, oh my gosh, they crank it. Um, as that worship starts to go out, it just floods the streets of, of this neighborhood. So they're starting to reach people in this neighborhood now that they've got um, this location there. So I was teaching them about, man, you have the Holy Spirit. You, you don't need to wait for missionaries to come here. Man, go carry the gospel. Um, and at the end, we had a full-blown, good old-fashioned altar call and just said, hey, look, if you want to pray even now that the Lord would just empower you to be able to carry the gospel around there, will you come up here? And they all just came rushing up. And so right here, we're actually praying. You can see they're praying on their own during that same time while I'm praying over them. Um, the next picture, we had everybody, like, they're all, like, huddled up with arms around each other, touching. It was just a really cool, powerful moment there with the Ugandan people, just encouraging them to be missionaries to their own community. Um, and it was just awesome. After It was just really, really awesome to be able to do that. Um, and then also, we got this other opportunity um, because Pastor John had all of the pastors and all of the ministry leaders from all the churches that he's planted, he had all of them come to Embarara on Tuesday that week um, to do leadership training. And so he brings them all together and, and we're kind of there like, so what are we teaching on? He's like, just leadership stuff, which, okay, but I, it was kind of awkward because like, I don't know a lot of what's going on in their churches. We don't know a lot of their challenges. I want to be able to say things that are somewhat relevant. And I don't even know if the things that we deal with are the same. So we just gathered everybody together in the room at the beginning. And I just asked each of the lead pastors to stand up. And I just said, what's the biggest challenge that's facing your church right now? And each guy got up and shared it. It's usually land-related, first of all, because land is a really big deal in Uganda. Um, land solidifies you in those areas. Um, and a lot of people in those areas won't even come to your church until you have an established place because they've seen so many churches come and then fail and then come and then fail. So, so they look at you as established if you have property. So that was a big deal. Um, but other than that, it was that issue of depth. Like all of these guys just saying, discipleship is an issue. We, we, we can get excitement for a church plant, but grounding and building disciples and helping people learn. And that's one of those things where I was like, man, um, we're not that different. I think that's a challenge in the church historically everywhere. Um, the only difference is, is we are not, we're without excuse because we do have the resources and we do have the opportunities that they don't. Um, but it's very, very uh, similar challenges. So we got together and, and we, uh, Sam reminded me of this story. I should have told it in the first service. We started talking through some different things and it was amazing. They, they have this, this context or, or this uh, belief system that anyone who comes from America over there is like led by the spirit and godly and they'll listen like really without questioning. They'll listen to anyone and everyone that they see. And one of the most common names you'll hear brought up there, one of the most common books over there is written by a guy named Benny Hinn. And I think most of you guys probably know who Benny Hinn is. If you don't know who Benny Hinn is, please don't go watch his sermons. Um, this is not an example of a godly man that we should follow on any level in any way. And so we were talking about, um, about some of the, the I, I was really challenging these leaders, like, look, you guys have to study the word for yourselves. Because just because some white guy comes to Uganda and says it doesn't mean it's true. You need to know your Bible. You need to be able to know if I'm saying something wrong. You need to be able to discern. And I, I, we went to some different passages where it talks about, um, you know, discerning the spirits and about how false teachers will rise up. And so I said at one point, I was like, 
Guys, I don't know, you might not like this, but I'll give you an example. How many of you guys know Benny Hinn? And a whole bunch of these leaders like, oh, yeah, Benny Hinn, Benny Hinn. And I was like, guys, he's a wolf. And there was like a <gasps> through the room at that moment. And I was like, I have now ruined our entire relationship with Oasis of Hope. I, I just thought it's over now. I have, I have stepped on someone that they revere. And what do we do now? But honestly, like by the end of it, we even had a gal coming up with his book in hand. She had it with her. And by the end, she was like throwing it away and wanting to read some other resources that we had. And all Pastor John was encouraging them. It was just, it's incredible the way that we have the opportunity to teach and train and bring truth to some of these people. So please pray for us that we continue to take that seriously. Um, but anyway, so I got, after we did that, that big teaching, I got just the leaders, the lead pastors together. And we talked about everything from leadership to dealing with money in an accountable way and, and all sorts of little leadership questions that those guys had. And then Kathy, she took the women and she was in a different room with all the women that were there. And she really encouraged them. Kathy was a huge blessing to have on this trip. Um, she was able to really pull some of these gals aside and encourage them in their own walk with the Lord. She brought some of those ladies. Some of you are doing that write the word thing with the women's ministry here this year. She took some of those notebooks over there. So some of the Ugandan women are actually doing this now with you. Um, at least those who can. Not, not a, a lot of them can't write and things like that. So there's challenges there. But some of them are going to be doing that with you this year. Um, and then they were even talking amongst themselves about like, hey, um, if some of you can't read and so you can't read the word on your own, man, you guys need to partner up with someone who does. And they were talking about doing some one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It was a really cool thing that Kathy got to do there with the women. She was a huge blessing to them. And then Sam taught in the coolest setting of all of us. Um, Sam out under the Matoki trees, like it's like as Africa looking as we would say things like, wow, that looks like Africa. You know what I mean? As if you're not in Africa, right? But, um, but Sam took all the assistance and he was down there and he just did a Bible survey lesson with them. And they spent about two hours just starting with Genesis and just kind of walking through what is each book kind of about and what's the purpose of each of the books. Um, and they had an awesome time engaging. Sam crushed it while he was there. I was really impressed. It's not an easy thing to get used to teaching that culture. And it took me a long time to get used to it too. But Sam did a great job and he was really loved by those guys there. It was awesome to have, um, have him with. Um, then we got one other opportunity that I want to tell you about before we talk and actually get finally to Genesis 1. And this is all introduction. Are you nervous? Um, so as you guys know, and as uh, Patrick, the lead, lead uh, Oregon lead for Acts 29 was here, um, that was last week, right? I don't even know what day it is anymore after this trip. But um, we're part of the Acts 29 church planning network. And it just so happens there's a church in Kampala that's also part of the Acts 29, or at least the pastors are in the assessment process nearing the end or, or um, at this point. So before we left, I got a hold of their supporting church in West Virginia, got to talk with some of those pastors. I contacted Acts 29's office in Houston, Texas, where the emerging regions area is that would oversee places like Africa. Talked with them about the assessment processes and where all these guys are. And we got to go there for the last two days and spend time with that church and, and kind of do some leadership training with them. And what they're dealing with, man, you guys need to be praying for them. It's called Sojourn Church. It's in Kampala. Kampala is a huge city. 
Um, they guess that the population is between 3 million and 4 million people, but there's really no way to, to really know. Um, it's, it's not like everybody has addresses or things like that. It's really difficult to tell, but it's massive. I mean, there's just tons of people there. And so this church has had two campuses for a few years now. Um, one of them is in sort of the, it's the wealthiest district in all of Kampala, probably all of Uganda, actually. Um, it's, it's like where all the diplomats stay. So it's right near the U.S. Embassy. Um, the lead pastor of that campus, his name is, oh, I'm going to mess it up. Are you in here, Sam? Ka- Kostia, Ka- Ka- Kostia, is that right? What? I don't know. Anyway, Steve. So Steve... Um, Steve is the lead pastor <laughs> of that campus, um, and so that's the diplomat. He's from um, he's from uh, 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 Ukraine. So white guy living in Ukraine, married to Ugandan national, but it's it's the church in the rich area. There's Europeans and Americans and people. Uh, there's a lot of white people there that are in that campus, um, and that's kind of money. That's a money area right there. And then that neighborhood, literally, like you could draw a line. It's not like it's the other side of town. Like you just draw a line, that neighborhood ends, and the next neighborhood that starts is known for its prostitution, for sex trafficking. It's the total slums of Kampala. So you have this super wealthy area over here, and then you have the slums, and they had opened up a campus there. And the pastor at that campus, don't switch on me, I'm just pointing this time, is this guy you can barely see. You'll see him here in just a minute. His name is impossible to say, but he is known by everyone affectionately as B-dubs. That's his name because his first name's with a B, his last name's with a W, so everybody calls him B-dubs. And B-dubs is the young, they're both young guys. He pastors the other campus. And so what had happened is, This guy, an American guy, had gone over there, started the church, started the church plant, was teaching both of them, and these guys were kind of like his disciples that he was kind of raising up. And one day, he calls these two guys into his office and with no warning or anything says, I got to go back to the States. There's some, some family stuff or something. And so just like that, these young guys in their 20s become the lead pastors of these two campuses with no training, no experience doing any of that whatsoever. It was a huge thing. Well, now, unfortunately, because of some economic uh, reasons and stuff, they've actually had to close one of their campuses. So the only building they were full-time leasing was, of course, the one in the slums area. The place they were meeting in the rich area um, was actually a lease where they only get it on Saturday and Sunday at an actual school. It's like the school all the diplomats' kids go to. And so they rent this school where they get it on Saturdays and Sundays. So when they were looking at the finances of what they have to do, unfortunately, and of course, they have to close the slum campus and move both campuses together in the rich area, which has given them, like this literally just happened like three weeks ago. And the challenges there are massive because you have not just race lines that you're dealing with, but you have socioeconomic lines, which are even a bigger deal in Uganda. And so they're wrestling with, how do we do this? How do we get the people here to understand that they're here? Like, what an example of the kingdom of God that could be. That the gospel transcends race, transcends social status, transcends economic status. And in an idealistic world, that's an amazing opportunity. But practically speaking, when you're really down on the ground trying to do the work, it's a massive challenge to pull off. And these two young guys, both in their 20s, leading this campus there, um, they have really got their work cut out for them. 
And so they asked us to come by and we spent, um, we spent one night just talking through leadership issues. Um, most of the Africans that you see here around the circle, except for Pastor John on the other side, are from the slum campus. None of the elders or church leaders from the rich campus showed up for that, which was super discouraging. And so all of these guys are super distrusting. They're looking at it like, okay, so now we're combined. We're at that campus. Um, let me guess, the white pastor will probably be in charge. What if we don't like what he's doing? One campus does like modern worship, the other's tribal or Ugandan worship. Like there's massive challenges. There's a lot of distrust. And these two guys need all the prayer that in the world and this church because they have a massive challenge ahead of them. The next morning, that's another picture of us there meeting with some of them. The next morning, they came over to our hotel, just the two pastors, um, Kostya, that's his name, Kostya, and that's B-dubs right there. And we just sat and talked with them about training and about resources and what could we send back, what could we bring back, um, what do you need me to go back and report to Acts 29 so they can get some help around you guys to support you so that um, you have a shot at pulling this off because there's a lot of skepticism of whether this church will continue to exist in its current um, form, or will it end up just looking like something completely different down the road with a completely different congregation? Um, so as you're thinking of it, even write this down if you're taking notes, Sojourn Church in Kampala definitely needs our prayers for sure. But here's what's really cool about this, is that I, I really believe that the Lord is positioning heritage and positioning all of these churches and bringing us together for such a time as this. Um, there's only man, I don't know, three or four um, Acts 29 churches in Africa? Like, there's very few that are over there. One of them just happens to be in Kampala, the city that we drive through every single time that we go there. Um, and then we've got Pastor John, who is now going through the Acts 29 assessment himself. So he'll actually be, um, hopefully, in another year when we, we got to do some training and stuff with him. Um, in fact, we're, gonna, we're hoping to bring him here at some point to do some training. But um, but he'll go through the assessment and we have this opportunity as a church to come alongside these two churches and, and with them working together to do something I think that could end up being just massive in Uganda. Um, even, even in the way it's starting out, you got two guys with lots of training, lots of resources, lots of opportunity to get books and, and knowledge and things like that, but they have no wisdom. And I don't mean that like degradingly. I mean, they just have no experience. They haven't really done much of this. This whole thing kind of fell in their lap and they're just treading water right now. And then on the other end, you've got Pastor John with years of experience. John turned 60, I think this year. He's got years of experience, but he doesn't have the resources to do the training to get the theological depth that would really be a huge, massive blessing to the people in Uganda. So they were already, even as we were bringing them together, Pastor John's speaking into their lives. They're already kind of partnering, trading numbers, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, I'll be on the phone this week with Acts 29, kind of giving them a report of what I found when we're over there and, and trying to help bring some things together. But it really seems to me like the Lord might be putting us in a place to make a massive massive difference in Uganda um, through not just church planning, but bringing training and support to churches so that they don't have to go through failure after failure after failure. And we can do everything we can to bring some support to these guys. Because even John said, 
He told me, as, as important as orphan support is and the water projects that we've done, as great as all those things is, he even said, he goes, honestly, the best thing that could happen to Uganda is just more churches being planted because the more churches are out there, it's those churches that take the orphans in. So the more churches that are out there, the better. Orphanages come and go. He's like, we just need churches. And so we have such a great opportunity here um, to be able to partner with them and, and just really praying about what this might look like in years ahead. It's just an incredible opportunity that I want to invite you guys to please be praying about as well. And also just so you know, like, I, I want some of you guys to go. Um, we were even talking about this among the team while we were there, like, there's no real way to help you guys understand the depth of relationship we have there. It's just, I don't, I don't know how to, you, you kind of just have to experience it. And so we're talking about, man, we need to see if the Lord would open up opportunities that we can do more trips over or something so that many of you can come over who have never been able to meet your brothers and sisters over there so you can meet your family and so that we can really spread more and more of this heart that we have for one another between us and Oasis throughout the congregation, throughout the church. I think it'd be a huge benefit. And let me tell you, as much as we go over there to teach them, I'm telling you, they teach us so much. I mean... There's something that happens when you go over there. It, it's so, it's so far. <laughs> it's so far. Um, it's, so we go, we go from, from Medford to Seattle is two hours, two hour flight. Seattle to Amsterdam, like 11 hours. Amsterdam to Kigali in Rwanda, like nine hours. And then you don't even get to get off the plane there. You have to sit there for an hour while they clean and bring new passengers on, which is easily the longest hour of your life sitting in that plane when you're just like, I just want off this thing. And so then they bring the more people on and then you fly from Rwanda, which is another half hour flight into Uganda. You get off the plane, you're like, oh yes. And then it's six hour car ride from there to Embraer. Like it's far. It's a long ways. But it's not just the distance that makes you feel separate. Because um, honestly, some of it's kind of modernizing in some ways. Like the hotels we stayed at had Wi-Fi sometime. Um, I was blessed by God to get to watch Carolina beat Duke from Uganda in the <laughs> middle of a night when I couldn't sleep anyway. So that was good. Jesus loves me. Um, but but, but it, you, still, you feel so detached from, from here. Because even if I wanted to call home for the vast majority of our day while we're awake, you guys are asleep. So you're very detached from everything that's going on. And let me tell you, that was so good for me. Like, I mean, I haven't been in four years. And the first thing I thought of on day one was like, I should not have waited four years to come back here. Like I needed this. And the Lord really, here's our, our segue into Genesis 1. The Lord really revealed something to me and pointed something out about my own heart and about our experience there that I want to share with you guys. And, and maybe it'll be a challenge to some of you too. Um, but this is what the Lord showed me. It's, you know, you're in Africa and it's first morning and I'm getting out and I get my Bible out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read the word. I'm having my devotions this morning. And you just feel like, oh, I don't want to keep going where I was before. I'm in Africa. It's like, ah, oh, Genesis. I don't know why. But that just feels right. Creation stories. and There's animals everywhere that works. So I go to Genesis 1, and I'm reading through Genesis 1, and for our purposes this morning, if you'll start in verse 20, about midway through the creation account, and I want you to notice something that really stood out to me. Genesis 1 verse 20 says, 
And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth to the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with, with which waters swarm according to their kinds. Remember that phrase. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You notice the difference? At first, he's creating all these creatures, fish according to a fish's kind, uh, lions according to a lion's kind, birds according to a bird's kind. But then he gets to man. And it's not man according to man's kind, it's man according to God's kind. The Trinity together says, Let's, not make, let's make them after us. And so God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then look what he says. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the bird of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then if you fast forward to verse 31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now I want you to track with me on something. You can put that last picture up there if you would of our our friends there. I want you guys to think about something. Here it says, Every animal gets created in his kind. And, and if you think about kind of the animal kingdom, they're kind of about their kind, right? I mean, they kind of do their thing. They live in their world. They live in their experiences. They serve themselves. And I don't mean mainly like animals are jerks. I just mean that's what they do. When they're hungry, they feed. You don't see a lot of hippos doing mission trips to the lions. You know what I mean? You don't see a lot of baboons going, we should go collect some food and deliver it to the elephants. Like they don't do that. They live in their little world. They live according to their kind. And then God creates Adam and Eve. He creates man. But instead of about our kind and our little world and our little thing, he says, no, you're going to be, you're after me. And one of the things about God is God is sovereign. He is the sovereign ruler and creator of all, creator of heaven and earth and Lord over all of it. And so because mankind is created in God's kind, God gives man a job. And it's significantly different than any of the other animals' world is like. He said, you are going to have dominion over everything. He gives mankind a massive world. I mean, think about that. Adam and Eve, um, not fresh out of the womb, but if we could use the language, fresh created, haven't been to seminary, no leadership experience, nothing. By the way, Adam, you're in charge of everything. And you're going to build society 
You're going to create family. You're going to create nations. The garden in Genesis 1 is going to end up being the city that you see at the end of Revelation. Like You're going to build that because God's a builder. God's a creator. And he wants mankind to be a part of all of this. And so Adam and Eve, their world is massive. It's limitless. There's incredible opportunity before them. And it lasts for like a chapter and a half. And then the snake comes, right? You know the story. Tempts Adam and Eve with this fruit. And what does he tell them? You don't have to be submitted anymore. You can be your own God. You don't have to be his kind. You can be your kind. You can be God over your own world. You can be God over your own land. You don't have to worry about what he wants you to do. Don't worry about that whole kingdom he's a part of. You can be like God. That's what he tells them. And the moment they bit into that, the moment they not just bit into the fruit, but bit into that lie, their world shrank. It really did. The limitless possibilities with openness and relationship they had ended and strife came. Um, Their ability to interact with nature drastically changed. When we were on safari, we don't get out of the car when the elephants are coming by. We don't get out of the car when we're looking for lions. We stay in the car. And frankly, even as you're driving around through there, you'll have your arm out the window and then you drive close to these collection of bushes and you're like, oh, just a little nervous. And you pull inside like because nature is vicious there. And so their world shrank there. They couldn't even stay in Eden anymore, right? And then their relationship with God was broken forever. But here's the thing. I think we all kind of do this. Now, I experienced this on this particular level because here's the reality of it. Going into this trip, I kind of didn't want to go. Like, I I mean, I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go. And the reason is I was like, man, I've got a school paper that's due the day after I get back. And if you know European jet lag or from flying that far, there's no chance I'm going to be able to work on it that day. So every night in Uganda, whenever I could, I'm going back to my room and working on a school paper in a hotel exhausted at night and I knew that was coming up plus all these other assignments our kids man life's just really busy we got kids going all these different places my family seems like every time I go to Uganda something happens back at home I absolutely believe that that there's a spiritual warfare that wants to keep us here and that's tying into kind of what I'm saying and I knew that was going to happen and some stuff did of course and people you know like Sam's kids got sick there was just stuff like that that happens while you're gone I'm thinking about the church. I mean, like we just did that report a couple of weeks ago. Um, The executive elders in the room are very well aware that I still have not sent them the revised five-year plan for us to talk through because I haven't even gotten to it yet. So I know that that's there. And here's the thing. I'm like thinking through all this stuff that I have to do. Many of that, most of it, like there's justifiable reasons why these are good things to do and right things to do. But it was also trying to shrink my world a little bit. And and this is what I think. The fallen world that we live in right now wants to constrict every one of us into our own little world so that we are just about our kind and nothing else. Kids, little league, jobs, provision, good things, important things, even church. But I got over there and I'm just realizing like every once in a while, God sends an opportunity and might put something in front of us that gives us an opportunity to cut through that shrunken existence and be part of something much, much bigger. And doesn't everyone on earth just want to be a part of something bigger? 
I mean, that's what even New Age philosophies are, transcendence. The problem is, I mean, we are created to transcend. The problem is, is that most of the world is telling you, you can be God. You can transcend. The idea is not that, that we are supposed to transcend the, the constricting lives that we have and be part of what God is doing. We were never intended to be little rulers of a kingdom of one. And with what I experienced over there, the opportunities to be used by God, the relationships that I would have missed out on, I was there and I was just like kicking myself for waiting four years to go there. But the thing is, is like you don't have to go to Africa for that. Like I start going, well, what does that mean? That I'm just going to now go back to living for myself and go back into the same old routines and all those kind of things. And I'm just like, and I don't, I don't even totally know how to do this. It's so hard to get back into sort of the American Western routine of things when you've been over there. Um, it's just so, when we flew back, <laughs> should I tell, yeah, I'll tell you, whatever. If I can tell an African that Benny Hinn's a heretic, then I can tell you guys this story. Um, so we, we were flying back and we end up on a plane from Uganda to Amsterdam a plane full of Alabama missionaries, older Alabamans who wanted to talk about nothing but football, and they were loud, and they were country. I'm from North Carolina, and I was completely disgusted. Like, I'm talking like thick Alabama. And coming out of that African culture, I was not ready for that level of white culture that fast. I just wasn't. I just wasn't. And we're walking through the airport, and then you've got a bunch of European culture there at Amsterdam, and there was a lot of rudeness that was happening there and everything. And Sam, even at one point, he goes, Jeff, I don't know, man. I, I think I came back. I think now I'm racist against my own people. <laughs> and I was like, I know. I know how that feels. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just, it's so hard to come out of that and come back to this and self. I, you get back to the States and you take your phone off airplane mode and ding, ding, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it was so hard to make that kind of transition. But church, I think we have to fight that. I think we have to try as best we can to be conscious of the fact that the world around us wants to constrict us into a mold that we are not intended to be held by. And I know that's hard. And I'm not trying to guilt you because I'm coming back fired up from a mission trip. But I know that kids take up time. I know that Little League's important to our little guy. I know all of those things. But I'm telling you, we are created to do big things. And to be a part of this big work that God is doing in his kingdom. And I wonder how many of us have had opportunities laid in front of us over and over and over. Whether it be in our jobs, our neighborhoods, whatever it is. To do something big, though scary. But to be used by God in a real and powerful way. I mean, I, I was so convicted. Like, man, I... I was going to use my little world and my responsibilities and my job to prevent me from doing something that most people would give their lives to. It's like I, a guy on the plane told me it was a bucket list to go to Africa. Not the Africa plane. That would be weird. But on one of the other flights, bucket list to go to Africa. And here I am like, I don't want to go because I have my little world confining me when maybe God wants to do something huge. And so that's a challenge for us as a church overall. Because I really do think that the Lord's laying something at our feet that we can jump into and be a part of in Uganda. That I, I really think that in partnering with these guys in Acts 29, we could see an incredible explosion of church, gospel-centered churches being planted all over Uganda. And trust me, they need it bad. They need it badly. 
But I want to push even further past that and just challenge you guys. Man, think about this. If a church on a village on top of a hill who has nothing, like, will pull together and do the things that they do, how much more us who God has blessed us? And this is not an American guilt trip. We are blessed. The resources we have, they're incredible. But it also means we're without excuse. It means that God has given us resources to be able to go to people that don't have them. And that means even if you know the gospel and somebody else you don't, then that's, that's your call. And you go, oh, but I don't have anything to share. I assure you, you do. Because the same Holy Spirit that we prayed for there is alive and well in this church too. And it's calling you to go minister to your brothers and sisters in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in the community. And we need to pray that the Lord will help us break through the clutter that just fills our lives so fast. So that at the end, we don't look back and feel like it was just one gigantic waste of time. The tyranny of the urgent. And instead, may the Lord just show all of us how to be about something big for him. Like to take some risks. You know what I mean? To be tired. It's okay. And to be used by God. Because I'm telling you, man, when it happens and you get to see the things that unfold in front of you, it is a gift from God to see how little our worlds actually are and how big his is. Amen, church? So I want to do something real quick. I know we're over, but we're going to pray. So if you guys would bow your heads. At first, I just want to lead us in some time of prayer for our brothers and sisters in Africa, because I assure you they're praying for us. So will you bow your heads now, each of you, and just seek the Lord and just ask that God would bless them, protect them, strengthen them. More than anything, bring them to depth. Help them to understand the scriptures they're reading, to come to greater and greater understanding of God. Will you pray for that church planning network, for the potential that's there, that God would use us and use them to partner together to save many in Uganda? The Islamic church is spreading like wildfire through Uganda. Pray that the truth will stand out against that. Just pray for your brothers and sisters. They are your family, whether you've met them or not. Let's pray for them. God, we just pray for our friends, for our brothers and sisters. We thank you so much for their influence in our life, for what they can teach us about joy, about simplicity, about faith, about reliance on your spirit, about brotherhood, and about love. And I pray, Lord, for them as they sleep right now, Lord, will you care for them? Lord, be with John, Jessica, Tom, be with Joel, Nathan, be with Esther and Judith and Susan. Lord, be with Joan and Sam and Lydia, Deborah, Happy. Be with Ruth and Esther. Lord, will you guide and lead Julius and David? Will you bless, Lord, these people? There's so many I'm forgetting. Johnson and Talent, Vicky, M. Lord, so many 
amazing brothers and sisters. Will you care for them? And I'm just so thankful that you've blessed us with this friendship. We are lucky to have them. Thank you for them. And now if you join with me, I just want to challenge you to go to the Lord and, and ask him to make your world bigger. Not your world, but that you'd be a part of his. That our focus could be widened. Pray even right now. Pray that, that we wouldn't be conformed to this world, but transformed and part of something greater. God, may we have the strength to do hard things and the faith to believe you. May we not be crippled by fear, but may you empower us, Lord, to take territory for your kingdom, to depend on your spirit in a new and impactful way. I pray, Lord, for our community groups here at Heritage, Lord, that as they gather together and even maybe talk about these things, will you show them how they can work together to do amazing things, things that would be impossible if your spirit wasn't a part of it. I pray, God, to some degree against the good things in our lives that can become consuming things. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to see what's most important. To be part of your mission, to be the gift, um, the privilege of serving you and your kingdom. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be responsible, Lord, good stewards of the many amazing blessings that you have given us. We pray, and pray with me if you would, we pray for Sojourn Church in Kampala and for Kostya and B-dubs and the challenge they have before them. It is significant and it is real and it's a tenuous time there. I pray you'd bless them with wisdom and leadership well beyond their years. And for the people that are in that church, Lord, may your gospel be so prevalent in their lives. I beg of you, Lord, will you show them grace for one another? May there be unity in that church that defies all worldly logic. May your spirit move and may it draw people to that church, Lord. Lord, I just pray for that day that we can be reunited with our brothers and sisters for all eternity. When there's no more language barriers, no more temptations of race or class or any of those lines. When there's harmony and peace, unity in your spirit, because you, our good and rightful sovereign king, are here. And we can worship side by side, every tribe, every nation, because, Lord, your gospel transcends all of those things. We thank you, Lord, that you saved such as us. Now, Lord, may you use your church to spread your gospel so that many more might be saved but to your glory and to your fame, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Will you stand with me? I love you guys. It's good to be back. Please be praying for them. Um, and, and pray for us as the leadership look, gets together and talks about things we can do. What's our future with them going to look like? And, and I really would, man, pray that maybe the Lord would send you there. Because I'm telling you, these people love you. Heritage, they love you. And they praise God for this church. It is a gift. I can't imagine how many blessings we enjoy because of the prayers and thankfulness of those people over there. So let's return the favor. Will you pray for them? Amen, church? All right. I love you guys. Go do hard things. God bless you. Have a great, great week.